This is a podcast from SPH Radio. Generation Gap with Elliot Danker. Hi, I'm Elliot Danker and welcome to Generation Gap. With different generations now entering the workforce, it's important to understand how to work with each other better. Well, this podcast deals with the various issues that different generations are facing in the workforce today. We're talking about needs, goals, and managing conflict, but for this episode, it's a bit of a sensitive topic. We're talking about ageism. We want to be aware of generational differences and learn how to avoid generational bias. And helping me out is Jaya Das, Managing Director of Malaysia and Singapore at Randstad. Thanks for having me here, Elliot. Thank you so much for taking the time. So we are going to talk about ageism and it's got a lot of common problems. But from what I understand, you guys at Randstad actually had an ageism survey that you commissioned YouGov to conduct with the local workforce. And all this was done prior to COVID-19. But what you're saying is the same would apply for now because this is more of a long-term trend that we've been observing. Could you share more with us? Absolutely. If you think about ageism as a topic or, or where its roots are, it's the concept of discrimination. Now, when you talk about discrimination, it's uh, it fundamentally comes down to bias. Bias exists not just because somebody intends to be that way. Uh, it is what their own background has sometimes led them to be. It could be to do with their own education, what they grew up with, influences. Sometimes it's inherent and it's subconscious. You're not aware that you're doing it, which is half of the issue. Uh, ageism has become a topic for a very different reason. It's because if you look at where... Uh, people or society are at the moment, you have two issues going on. Number one is to do with the fact that a lot of countries deal with population issues. Is there enough of a younger generation to support? So the older generation becomes uh, highlighted in terms of what their future looks like and how society will treat them. The second issue around ageism is that everybody's lifespan is becoming longer. So I grew up at a time period where, you know, people will talk about sort of 60s and 70s as the end of the game, so to speak. And if you lasted till 80, fantastic uh, kind of thing. And then as time goes and people get healthier and there's general awareness and education around how to preserve your lifespan and people postpone their life decisions, they get married later, have kids later. You start to see people say things like 60 is the prime of their life. At 70, they're doing things they've never done before. And you hear these stories over and over again of the, um, the amazing things people have achieved. Now, while you're talking about uh, achievements there, in itself already there's a bias because what you're inherently implying is, I didn't expect you to do it. I didn't think you could. The fact that you've done it, you've surprised me. And th that's a bias. So if you, if you look at it from a workforce perspective, I would say society is starting to stay alive longer. Workforce policies haven't shifted, uh, which is why we, we cover this topic and also to understand when there's a talent crunch um, how organizations actually have an untapped talent potential that they ought to consider that would help them with some of the issues they're facing. Uh, and also to kind of uh, have a different age category of experience that can help with the younger generation workforce that comes in. So I think that's why we feel that this topic is relevant. COVID or no COVID, this is an issue that we all have to deal with globally, I think. Jaya, you've given away our age quite a number of times. I'm starting to get a bit shy. But um, let's be honest, ageism is something that goes both ways. While on one hand, we've seen in the various budgets that have been announced, you've got a lot of incentives for older workers, government incentives, that is, workers who should upgrade themselves or who can upgrade themselves. Now, that's obviously going to affect the mid-career to the older workers. 
But here's something that I've heard for so long in my career, for the best part of close to 20 years, you know, especially when I first went into the working world, you hear younger workers telling older workers, you know, you're kind of old, how would you be able to catch up with technology? But you also hear the older workers saying to the younger ones, well, you're so young. I mean, what do you honestly know about life? What do you honestly seen or what have you honestly seen in your career? Absolutely, Elliot. I certainly uh, don't don't do myself favors in not hiding my age. Um, I think the main part here is if you think about age discrimination, the the assumption people take is that it's actually reserved for the older workforce. It's not. It, it goes both ways, right? Uh, people have a concept of what they think an age means. It is certainly a status thing as well. So uh, very prevalent in Asian contexts as well, where we kind of think that with age and time, uh, we've earned our rights to be somewhere. So. Sometimes we feel that when somebody hasn't done time in their in their life and they haven't gone through the experiences, they're like lacking the depth uh, or the maturity to be able to do something. In my time period managing, I've seen both ends of the spectrum. I've seen people who've, who've got 15, 20 years under their belt in terms of having been in the workforce, but not having the emotional maturity, EQ or IQ sometimes to know what to do in a situation and how to cope particularly when it comes to conflict, when it comes to uh, issues with moral code, having difficult conversations, all the tough stuff. At the same time, I've seen younger people who kind of really surprised me that for their age, they, they tend to have a depth that I would expect of an older person. So I, I really think that if people sort of are conscious of the fact that they may be biased in their view, they will pause that in its tracks and look a little bit deeper and further. I certainly don't can't say that anybody will be free of bias. It's it's something that's inherent. It's as inherent as the breath you take. You don't think about it. It's just there. Uh, but if you think a little bit about what it means to kind of appreciate one another, the concept of ageism, it's a bit like the concept of racism. You get afraid when it's not the same as you. You don't know what to do with it and you don't know how to operate around it. Getting an education around the differences, understanding how other people are and what's unique to them is actually the way to try and work together. And then the concept of diversity starts to come in, right? That I'm better off when the people around me offer different different complexities, different viewpoints and different ways of looking at something. And actually that ensures my survival rather than it being competitive. So this education process is one that, you know, society needs to drive in general. But on a bigger level, if you if you talked earlier on about government grants and policies, this certainly needs to happen at an organizational level. Um, uh, there's an old saying that a fish rots from the head. So if at the very senior level in an organization, the, the, the uh, leadership team or their own policies and guidelines do not encourage this behavior and do not promote different generation workforces to work together, you have serious issues. The organization's not going to develop that culture. And they're always going to have a look at it in, from the traditional way and say, at what age does, do we stop employing people? You know, what do we do with insurance uh, support and claims? How do we kind of offer flexibility to an older workforce person. And if they have some physical issues, they are no longer, you know, as, as vibrant or as bright. All of these sort of old age mentality and thinking has to shift. An individual right now who, who's working from home doesn't have an age, a skin color, a look or a face. They simply have an output if they switch their cameras off. So this mindset, I think, will change more and more over time as people deal with the reality that the older workforce needs to be there. Um, I think the, the last point probably on that, that same issue uh, with companies supporting it is that you have to put programs in place that help people do that. So the concept of reverse mentoring, for example, uh, where you have people younger sometimes mentoring older people and vice versa. 
getting people from different age categories or backgrounds to get together and share will actually bring innovation and creativity and diversity to the company to solve problems. So there has to be some, some programs or frameworks in place for this to happen. Otherwise, by default, people will kind of stay away from finding out what's on the other side. Okay, so that brings me to the more emotive side of things. Do you think we're so caught up in the working world that we're in, the pressures of the working world? It doesn't help this COVID-19 stay-at-home situation is not making things better. And the older worker tends to forget that a young, impressionable worker comes into the workforce, they're usually looking for a mentor figure. They're looking for someone who can teach them how to grow professionally. So instead of doing all that, you're worried about your own work, you lose this aspect of sharing. You know, is this aspect of sharing being lost? Yes, I certainly think so. And this is twofold, right? One of it is where you are in your life personally. I think there are two categories of people as they get older. The ones who celebrate their lives and don't regret things and turn up every morning wanting to contribute. Now, their own attitude of the fact that they are like that and they feel that there's something to offer and there's more to be had in life, they're more forthcoming in their communications. They reach out to people, they look for opportunities to connect, um, and they try and find ways to add value. They join society groups, they take part in projects, they volunteer for stuff, they're the first one to sort of stick their hand up and speak. Um, and they generally want to participate in life. Such individuals are much easier for companies to kind of identify and say, actually, you know what? Why don't you come on board the project? Because they have a voice and they have an opinion and they're willing to turn up. And these things then become much easier to translate within a framework and an organization because they're willing participants. Uh, and that participation rate already will shift the dynamics. Then you have the second category, right, where they get into a stage of life where Maybe with age, they're facing personal disappointment. Life is not maybe where they thought they were going. Um, and they're struggling with whatever personal issues. That mindset, when you see such an individual physically, first of all, they're slumped. Uh, they sometimes look bitter and angry. And they're going through life as if they're waiting for it to complete. And it's a bit sad to see. But they go through the motions. And their inherent limiting belief in their head is, I'm done, right? I've got a couple more years to retirement. I've just Then I'll be hopefully been able to you know, kind of hang out my hat and sit back. Uh, and hope somebody else takes care of me and there are enough people to support me and things like that. Now, when they come with that mindset, as much as they've arrived at that point, there is a level of entitlement that seems to come with it. And when they take that persona a mindset, organizations smell this a, mi a mile away, right? And if the company's already got policies like that, where they're starting to make, not policies, but rather they don't make a conscious effort to shift and they make the older generation workforce feel like that, it's a double whammy then you are absolutely stripping the work environment of an atmosphere where these people can contribute or they're even valued for their contribution. So I, I do think, first of all, it starts from where you are with your life as a person, the energy you project, and then the environment you find yourself in. So I'm having an impression that with the things that you point out, it seems the role of a manager has to change or has probably already changed. A manager seems to have to function like a facilitator, someone who's able to read body language, read the nuances, to be able to tell when an older worker is perhaps jaded. And on another aspect, a younger worker who seems to be avoiding communicating with the more mature professionals. From your survey, was this something that was seen? You know, younger workers avoiding communicating with mature professionals at the workplace? Absolutely. I think one of the major reasons is because the younger workforce communicates through technology. 
So if they're not connected on a chat or a, you know, a group or any platform to an older generation workforce person, they almost don't know how to approach the conversation or where to start. There isn't anything in common to speak to them. There's also a bit of a feeling when they look at the person physically that you're my parents' age or you're my grandparents' age. So I don't want to approach you because I really don't know what the conversation is about. Uh, so th there's that, that discomfort, a lack of familiarity in the first place. So I think when you want to kind of pull different uh, generations together, uh, as a division head or as a boss of a particular group of people, there has to be a conscious effort to orchestrate that. It doesn't naturally happen for sure. And you wouldn't expect it. It's like in a party. How often do you see somebody who's four generations apart sitting together and having a drink and chatting unless they're connected personally? People tend to gravitate to, to what's familiar or people who are like them. So you have to somewhat force feed that environment. I'm certainly with you when I said a boss's life these days are far more complicated than what it used to be. I mean, the outside world is, is, is more complex. Uh, you, you live in a WUCA world, as everybody uh, says it or labels it. And then internally, you have a lot of complexity uh, and what people are like. I think to be able to navigate that complexity, uh, two things have shifted a lot in the leadership style. You, uh, you see generations of when from the early parts of management gurus or books or where bosses are seen as authoritarian or directive. In other words, I tell you what to do on top of the pyramid and you undertake and discharge. And if you do not, there are consequences. And there's one way of doing it. It's a bit like the organization versus the person. And therefore, you get concepts of labor unions and, and entities trying to protect the individual against the organization. Then you now see a change in all of this where the concept is becoming more about participative leadership and then about coaching. Now, coaching has two, two fundamental assumptions there or, or rather capability. The first one is to enable the individual to find solutions for themselves so that they don't depend completely on other people's thinking or other people's way of solving a problem for them. But the second one is a general uh, inquisitiveness. So if I were to try and take a coaching approach with somebody who's 25, for example, or 22, very early in their career, maybe three or four years of experience, the fundamental belief I have is that by asking you the question, what do you think should the answer be, is that I believe you would have well within capability in your site to be creative, intelligent, thoughtful enough to come up with a solution. But the second one is also to do with the fact that I myself may not have the answer. By asking the question, I don't, I'm not treating them like a foregone conclusion. I'm actually learning. I might take something out of it by listening to how that person contributes. So coaching, I think, is the fundamental sh pivotal shift for a different generational workforce to work together, whether your colleagues, peers, bosses. The idea is to arrive at a question first and then find your way to a solution rather than having the answer first before you even hear the other party out. This shift is going to change the entire culture of how people operate with one another, the willingness to listen and the willingness to take the other party's thought process into consideration. And the catalyst for all that, simply put, is trust. <laughs> Absolutely. There has to be a, a general appreciation that says, I want to know and I want to find out and I'm going to be better off for it. I've been speaking with Jaya Das, Managing Director, Malaysia and Singapore at Radstar. Thank you, Elliot. It's been a pleasure being here. Generation Gap is a production of SPH Radio. It's hosted and produced by Elliot Danker. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and streaming on Google Home. Listen to more of our podcasts at sphradio slash podcast. And if you have feedback for us, send it to podcast at sph.com.sg.